This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Making a good job great. Welcome to episode 104 of the podcast where we give you an inside look at the various aerospace careers and inspire you to move forward towards your career goals. You know, most of us start our careers following our passion. We then move forward to a career we feel will fulfill our passions. During the varied journey, we must choose a path and at times make decisions such as where we want to live, who we want to marry, and how we want to raise our children. The job of airline pilot allows us to live anywhere in the world we choose, but also comes with challenges including commuting long distances to work. You know, recently while flying with a wise captain, he said something that really resonated with me and applies to my most recent commute. The captain said that commuting to a flying job can make a great job good. I said, brilliant. I (laughs) I exclaimed this to him, but, but let's look deeper into this. Let's look at what we mean also on a positive light on this wise captain's statement. Let's discuss how to make a good job great in your career. You know, joining me today to help discuss how to make a good job great is Eric Crump, Aerospace Director at Polk State College and passionate aviator. Eric has also been one who has made a good job great by defining what is great, a a great job and why. Welcome to the show, Eric. Hello, Carl. Very happy to be here once again. Yeah, you know, Eric, this is awesome to have you on because you're truly somebody who's turned what I feel is a good job into something incredibly great and doing a great job at, at the place, uh, Polk State College, at your job right now. And no matter where you are, you've done that. You've turned a, a good job into something great. So I think you're a great example of that. Well, uh, thanks. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and, and looking in your past, I don't know if we can mention past jobs or not, but we can generalize. You know, some of the different positions you've held, you you've actually been able to turn that around into something really cool and really great. But I think more so, not not so much just the job you're doing, but but the way that you interpret what a great job is. And I think that's really important, and that's uh, that's what we want to talk about today. But you know, before we get started. Uh, How's your week been? Any cool flying adventures in your life? It's just been really great. I, I, I tell my students all the time that I get to live vicariously through them. So I don't fly as much now as I may would like to. <laughs> it would be nice to <laughs> fly a little more. When I fly now, it's usually for evaluation, which which I don't mind. It's just you, you just have to sit there and be quiet and not touch the controls. Because during an evaluation, if I have to talk or touch the controls, it's an unsat. That's bad. We don't want that to happen. No, so no. I pretty much have to be a you know a stone wall over in the right seat, and just and which I guess really intimidates people for some reason. But um, I, I, I live vicariously through my students. It's so nice just to walk into flight operations, and as the students are coming in from a flight or going out through a flight, I don't know that it's a, like a specific thing this week. It's just for some reason this week it just stood out more to me than others. Everybody is just thrilled. They're all excited. They're all happy. And when you talk about making a good job great, um, working with good people um, really, really, really takes that to the next level. And seeing people who are excited about what they're doing 
and having people honestly just say thank you. And it's I don't do what I do for accolades or anything, but it is really nice when people just say, hey, you know what? This opportunity that I have, I, I know you did this for me, and I, I really appreciate that. It means a lot to me. And it's just been a week of those, and it's been a great week. That's awesome. You know, they're not always these great weeks, but still, it's a pretty cool thing that you do, isn't it? It, uh, you know, I, I joke around. I haven't really gone to work in a long time. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember the last job I had. Um, and I, I just I do what I love to do, and then uh, on the last working day of every month, money magically appears in my bank account, which is awesome. It's, it's like the, <laughs> the best thing in the world to do what you legitimately love to do and be super fulfilled by that. And get paid to do it at the same time. I mean, there's really not, there is no better life than that. I think you explained it, you know, properly and, and great right there. It, it truly is a joy to be able to do something that fulfills your inner needs and is your passion. You know, it's interesting. I, I sometimes don't like to, to say what I do at my work. I love my work. I love my job. And I don't want to sound like I'm bragging about it, but I think what I need to do is start saying some of the positives more often. And uh, some people have asked uh, certain things about my job, and, and so many questions come about from that. And I tell you what, I had an awesome time on my last trip. Uh, I know, Eric, you may have looked at my Facebook page. Uh, I was in Palm Springs, California, and I went to the Palm Springs Air Museum. It was totally awesome. I had 24 hours in the desert, had a wonderful time, saw some really cool airplanes, got to fly with a really nice captain, and, and just had a terrific time. Uh, got to go to uh, one of those burger places that they have on the West Coast uh, and that you can only find on the West Coast, and it was just really, really cool stuff. Is that in and out No, actually I went to a place called Jack in the Box. I'm pretty sure it's only over there. I could be wrong about that. Uh, but usually what I see in the on the West Coast is a Jack in the Box. in and out burger we, we thought about going to, but since I hadn't had much experience with, with the Jack in the Box, I got to do that. So that's another cool thing. I get to go to some of these places I, I, I never get to go. But one thing I did do is I, get, I learned so much on my trip. I learned so much about aviation, the history of World War II, this and the incredible folks over there at the Palm Springs Air Museum. They are just amazing. The, the docents are so knowledgeable. They're passionate about what they do, and they've brought so much passion and knowledge to the person that's actually visiting, and they're willing to share that with the people that are there. And uh, one of my favorite aviators, uh, uh, James Ray, uh, actually donated uh, the computers and the, uh, and the simulators for the museum so that people can actually go on there. And, That's and awesome. Like, yeah, yeah. I actually have a picture of myself next to it. I never, you know, I need to put that out there uh, on Facebook. I liked your picture of uh, Bob Hope. Yes, Bob <laughs> you guys Hope. looking off into the distance together. Yeah. <laughs> Bob Hope and I were looking off into the distance. I also have pictures of myself next to airplanes, but uh, and a, a Lynx trainer and F four, uh, also Air Force One. Another cool thing I got to do. I landed right next to Air Force One. Uh, that was pretty interesting. Big 747 and all sorts of lights around it and everything. I, I kind of wanted to go check it out, but uh, there's a lot of people standing around with large guns that, that won't let me uh, get close to You know, to. I'm pretty sure if you said, uh, I'm Carl Valeri, um, and I would like to go look at the airplane, I'm sure they would just let you through. It's not, it, it wouldn't be a problem at all. <laughs> yeah, they no, just didn't I've, know who you were. <laughs> I, I've tried that before. It, it just doesn't work. <laughs> they don't recognize your name? No, no, they don't. Give them a card. Have I'll show my, the show my driver's license. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That'll get me into to just about nowhere. I'm and, a member <laughs> of the media. I'd like to go cover Air Force One. <laughs> but, you, you know, this, it's funny. We, do, we talk about these 
things and all these wonderful things we get to do. Think about this. I get to go all these cool places in the world. I never probably would have gone to Palm Springs if it wasn't for my aviation job. And I probably never would have gone to the museum. You know, I can't just flits off and do these things. But I got to do this. And I learned so much. Oh, another thing I learned is don't walk in the desert without a bottle of water. Bad idea. <laughs> we decided that we wanted. We walked to the museum, which one of the locals thought we were nuts. We'd walk three miles uh, to the museum, and it was really hot out, and uh, we just totally dried out. My whole my throat. I've never felt that before. I live in the. I go to the Caribbean. I live in the South. That doesn't happen. I don't get a dry throat. But boy, I tell you, I dried out there. So that was that was actually another learning experience. I'm sure people are laughing right now, saying that, <laughs> that was really stupid. There's people on the West Coast going. <laughs> You uh, idiot! You're, <laughs> you're so lucky you're alive. <laughs> well, it was only three miles, but uh, yeah. So, it's, well, but we're so used to it. It's like uh, it's like going up in the mountains. Um, <laughs> just it's funny. My uh, my family, part of my family, lives in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and that's that's not even mountains compared to you know out west in the Rockies. But um, my one of my cousins got married on top of uh, Signal Mountain. Oh wow! <laughs> so. When we grew up, uh, every summer I used to go up to Chattanooga and we would have, would just play as cousins. It was a lot of fun, but we always play hide and seek. So at the reception, we got this stupid idea that we were just going to play hide and seek. We were running around chasing each other. And I, man, I'm telling you what, after about five, 10 minutes, I was like, I'm about to die. I am pretty sure that I'm about to die. And I got to look, I got to thinking about it. I'm like, hold on a second. I'm 3,000 feet in the air. <laughs> like, you know, like it's a little different. Th- there's a, there's a slight difference here. So, um, it, it's crazy. You don't, you take that stuff for granted until it, until it slaps you in the face. It, you sure do. But, but you know, the reason we're talking about all this, just, you know, come back to the, to the career side is that we really uh, get these opportunities to do these really cool things. And we also get to the opportunity to learn from our mistakes. Like we're talking about climbing mountains and going in the <laughs> desert without a bottle of water. You don't do that. And, no, no, we won't do that. And not, again, hopefully I'll remember next time I don't do it. But the, uh, the it, it's funny because this is something that I, I've heard from people is that, you know, I want to know more about your job. And some of the questions we have will come about. But I think I, I probably don't do enough of talking about the fun things I do. So I really want to, I want your feedback, you know, if you like to hear about some of those fun things that I get to do. By the way, I'm going to uh, St. Martin next week. And I'm going to go down to the bar there. And you, sh- uh, there's a bar that's right on the water on the beach. And I'm going to take pictures of airplanes. So hopefully I'll get those on the Facebook page. Another cool thing I get to do while I'm working. Also, I hate you and am in- insanely envious of you. See, that's, that's now, fine. this is not how I wanted it to come across. I wanted it to come across. <laughs> these are the fun things we get to do. No, it's work. positive, Eric. Yes. Don't be envious. <laughs> Stop. I'm just going to St. Martin. I mean, it's not like it's a big deal or anything. All right. Well, this is not working. I can okay, tell. It's a, good, it's a good deal for you, man. It's a good deal for you. And I, no, I and, envious, and I'm hoping but... I encourage people to get involved in this type of job where, hey, you get to travel some really cool places and, and do some amazing things. I know you've heard the other side where, yeah, you see the inside of hotel hotel rooms in the middle of Buffalo in a snowstorm. Yeah, that happens. That's just a part of the job. But there's also some really cool things. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm talking about all these really cool things, but I had one of the worst commutes ever yesterday. I was I was incredibly frustrated. It took me, like, I had to stay overnight up in New York. I missed, like, three flights. I couldn't get on. I got bumped. You know, we have to jump seat. We go on standby. Uh, but even with that, I had to sit there and say to myself, listen, this doesn't happen all the time. And, and with all this, this was a really bad day. This doesn't happen all the time. You know, I was talking to one of the guys in the chief pilot's office. He's like, you know, every so often you have a bad day, but look at all the great days you have. And I said, yeah, that's true. It's very, very true. So sometimes for me, you- though, those days, th- those remind me about how great my job is. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's crazy because you can, 
I mean, anybody can be negative about anything. We've talked about this before, Carl. You know, people make $400,000 a year and hate their life. Right. Like the, the money at the end of the day is, is nice and you can do stuff with it, but the money in and of itself is nothing. It's just a thing. Um, the actual enjoyment, the, the real reward you get out of the job, in my personal opinion, has nothing to do with how much money you make. I know people who make minimum wage and love their life. Yes. Um, and I know people who make $400,000 a year and hate their life. Yes. So the, the money in and of itself isn't, isn't the thing. But you have those days like that, and uh, certainly I do. You know, it's, there's more work to be done, and there is time to do it. You know, and sometimes you got to bring work home, and sometimes you're up till 2 and 3 in the morning to get stuff done that needs to be done for the next day. And you think, man, you know, I'm, I'm really putting a lot into this. But there's two things there. One, those times make you really appreciate you know, the other 90% of the time when you're not doing that. And also, when that work, when you really put that hard work into it and it's one of those tough days, and then you see all that come to fruition, you're like, man, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> that was so, you appreciate it so much more, has value to you. And I think a lot of people go into whatever it is they want to do as a career, and it's, you know, I just want as many good days as possible, no problems. But you don't really want that. Because if you don't have some adversity here and there, how are you going to appreciate how great it is the other 90, 95% of the time? Well, thanks. A lesson learned, Eric. I, I like that. That's a, it's very true. I, I mean, I'm listening to you, and I'm, I'm learning as, as I'm listening. It's, you know, my, my job actually, and I don't ever say this, my job actually stunk for one day. Uh, I was like, oh, man. But think about what I just said. It stunk for one day. Right. You know, it, and, and I had to put that in perspective afterwards. It really was frustrated. It's the most frustrated I've been in a long time. And, and I'm not one that really gets frustrated. If, you know, you listen to me on this podcast. I'm always happy and enjoy my job and my life. But, but there yeah, are, this Carl that you hear, this is not an act. This is actually how he is. <laughs> yes, yeah, this, is, this is how He's I am. He's insufferable, people. He's insufferable. <laughs> but but uh, that's everything in life. You have to really, you have to go after your passion. And that kind of leads us into our discussion today. Is, you know, when, when you want to make a good job great, you want to make a good job great, you need to do something really important. And I think that is, number one, discover your passion. Discover mm -hmm. what your passion is. And, and what is that passion? You know, how does that come about? I know for me, and I'll let also Eric explain how his passion came about, but for me, it actually came about through dreams. Most of my passions for things that I do in life have come about because of dreams that I've had and things that I want to do. Live your dream, as they say. But, you know, things like, I, you know, I loved computers. I, I got into computers. I did that as a living. I, I was like, wow, this is really cool. I, it, it was a passion because I, I dreamt about designing a computer system that can do a certain thing on, with a, in a phone company, and I got to do that, and it was really cool. You know, I, I, dream, I dreamt about living on an island and got to do that. You know, I, I dreamt about flying like a bird, and look what happens. I'm doing that right now. So so that became my passion through the dreams that I had and and it was come it came to fruition in a very long long process. So Eric, I know you have a you're a very passionate person, obviously. Mm -hmm. You know yeah. how how did those how did you discover that your passions in life? I mean, I don't remember a time when I didn't look up at every airplane that flew over going, "Man, I want to do that." Um and it didn't matter what airplane it was. If it was flying, I wanted something to do with that. I took my first flight the day after my 13th birthday. I sold it on my 16th birthday. Um, I just, like, I have been hopelessly addicted to aviation my entire life. But, and I, I have always been passionate about aviation. But here's the thing. Like, I thought when I went to college, I got my private pilot certificate before I went to college. And really up until maybe my junior year in high school, I was still kind of on the fence. Like, do I want to do this aerospace engineering thing, which was kind of my 
my other love, I, I love designing things. I always did. And then like, the flying thing, though, that's so nice. And so I made the decision. That's what I was going to do. And I went to college to be an airline pilot. That's I went there. That was my plan. Like the, the end of that first week in college was like, yeah, I don't know if this is really what I thought it was because I, <laughs> I was really passionate and uninformed. Like I had this idea in my head that I had built, like this is what it was going to be. And then it, it wasn't exactly what I had built it up in my head to be. And I'm like, well, okay, so it's a little bit different. Well, but okay. And then I started realizing that there were all these other things in aviation. <laughs> I just had no idea that there were all these other opportunities. And, you know, we've talked about this before and my journey and, and how I ended up where I was like, well, okay, so you wanted to be an airline pilot and now you're running a college aviation program. So how did that work? And, you know, I, I discovered corporate aviation, fell in love with it, much like uh, like uh, Tom Wachowski. And, and just and that was my that was my thing. I was just I was just just totally absorbed in it. And then I, I really missed instruction. I, I wasn't able to instruct as much as I wanted to, and I wanted to get back to curriculum design, which is what I had done uh, after I had finished college, and I really wanted to get back to that. And so then I kind of migrated out uh, into the training industry, and then, and then one thing led to another and back here. And it's kind of like what Carl said, I guess. Um, just discovering that discovering and following your passion is so important. Just my my I guess my point to you would be don't wear blinders around your around what you think your passion is be open minded to allow yourself to experience new things and allow your pa- your passion should change and mold and and evolve over time and I, I joke with with students who come to talk to me about my program this is my 14th aviation job i'm like man you must be really terrible at what you do <laughs> it's like no i just I, I kept wanting to do new stuff and i kept finding new stuff that interested me and i followed my passions and like I said, I can't – I don't remember the last job I had. Well, no, I do. I was in college. I worked in a call center for a cell phone company. That was a job. I had – there was no passion in it. I did it because I needed the money. <laughs> and that was – and that's the last time I've ever worked. The, the rest of it has just been you know, what I wanted to do, what I got a lot of reward out of, and it happened to also pay my bills. So, so let, correct me if I'm wrong, but Eric is passionate about aviation. I'm hearing this. But what's happened is you figured out, you know, what within aviation has really, really fired up that passion and actually has made it a big burning bonfire instead of just a flame. Well, yeah, it's, it's training. I'm addicted to watching the light bulb come on over somebody else's head when it comes to aviation. It's, it's, uh, it's such a euphoric experience for me. It just it absolutely gets me going. But if you think about this, when I wasn't a pilot or when I was a young pilot, how in the world was I going to know that that was going to be the thing in aviation that was really interesting to me? I, did, I had no idea because I had never done it before. And then, and then once that moment happened, the first time I taught a ground school class when I was in college, I was like, oh, my goodness, how do I do this for the rest of my life? This is, this is so amazing. And so after that, everything I did was with the intent to eventually get back to a point where my, my job – was aviation education. That's what I wanted. And I thought maybe that would be my retirement job. I'd go do some other stuff in aviation because, you know, who's going to hire, you know, me to, to run a, an academy or a college program or something. And this just happened. I mean, it wasn't like I was even looking for this job. It just, there's a brand new program. It was this brand new curriculum. And a lot of people thought, well, why would we, why would we do this, you know, airline oriented thing in college? Why not just, you know, give them pilot certificate? Well, 
anyway, it just it was philosophically everything fit into place. But for me, it's training. It's watching that process happen. That was such a huge part of my life. Watching that happen for other people, it's it's uh, it's amazing. It's the best thing in the world for me. So what you did is you discovered your passion. You also discovered your why, why you were doing what you were doing, what it is that that truly fulfilled you internally, and that was making the light bulb come on. And that's so important. I mean, being passionate about something is absolutely the first step. But your why, why you do it, is what gets you through, like Carl was saying, those tough days. Because I'm not going to lie, <laughs> with our student load and the rate at which we've grown in four years as a program – there are stressful days and there are long nights and there is a lot of work and there is time where you just throw your head back in the chair and go, Oh, but I'm telling you what, at the end of the day, I wouldn't change anything. If no matter nothing that I have gone through since I have taken this job or any job that I've taken aviation for that matter, would I go back and change? Because no matter how, uh, how it went away from what I had originally intended it to be, um, my why was always what got me through. And that's that's what I was going to before. If you're making $400,000, you're not enjoying what you're doing, and you don't know why you're doing it, of course you're going to be miserable. <laughs> I mean, the same could be true if you're making $12 an hour, and you, know, <laughs> you, you don't enjoy what you're doing, and you have no reason for doing it. Anybody would be miserable in that situation. So I think that that's a key point. We have to discover what our why is. You know, for me, as an example, my why is I always wanted to help people, and I loved flying. Well, in flying, sometimes I'm just going point A to point B. I'm not really able to to help people directly, I think, in my mind. Uh, you know, obviously, I can help passengers and make the, a smoother flight and make them more comfortable, et cetera. But I, I really wanted to help people out, and what I discovered is within aviation, there was a place that I fit, and that was helping people that were furloughed find jobs. So for 10 years of my aviation career, I helped people that lost their jobs in aviation find other jobs in the industry uh, as, a, as actually a union rep. And it, and it kind of goes back to, you know, the, in my past, I, I used to work in a nursing home when I was in high school. And, you know, I had to, you know, help out elderly people and I clean up a lot of messes, but I was, it was so fulfilling. And the reason it was fulfilling is because I was helping those people and making their lives better. So when I got into aviation, I was being selfish because I liked to fly the airplane. That was for me. That fulfilled me. But then I wanted to share that passion for aviation with others and help other people's get people get there. So that's why I got into helping furloughed pilots and that's how I got into doing this and helping people and coaching people and doing interview prep and finding people scholarships, et cetera. So this actually is an addition to my job and has made my job 10 times better. It, it Can really I throw has. something else in there, too, that sure. you just reminded me of? Mm -hmm. Whatever you're doing, if you're looking at it and you only see reward in it for you personally, I'm not saying that that makes you a bad person or that you're not going to be happy with that. But it is so much more fulfilling when what you're doing you can also use to help somebody else. And it doesn't matter what what that help somebody else is, volunteering in some community thing. The you know, like Carl's talked about before, having the time off that his day job affords him lets him do this other stuff that he really wants to do. Um, doing something in aviation or in anything, doesn't even matter what the, what it is, what what career field you go into, when it benefits you. 
I mean, you're going to get something out of it. Obviously, you're 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 enjoying it, and you're you're getting paid for it, and that's great. But when you can find something to do that also is your is a give back, that is it, that makes everything else so small in comparison. Because in addition to the benefit you get personally, you get to also watch that benefit happen with other people. And I would encourage any of any of anybody listening that whatever you do in aviation or anything else for that matter. Anytime you can look for that opportunity, that give back, that that um, paying it forward, if you will, that's what you don't talk about. You know, making you really passionate about what you do. When doing what you do allows you to do this other thing that helps other people, you're not really going to find anything more rewarding in life than that. And doing what you do, your passion, like flying airplanes, etc., you may help other people in a totally different career. I know somebody who is a baseball coach. And he does a great job as a baseball coach, and he loves that. And that it, that time off enables him to do that, to to become that a, that baseball coach, and to really affect young people's lives. And I think that's terrific. So so it doesn't have to actually be within aviation; it can be because of aviation. He's able to travel places that other people couldn't get to. So discover that. Discover what your why is, what your passion is, and and it can be selfish. But also think about others. You know, it's okay to be happy in what you do. Uh, a lot of people say to you, and I've heard this most of my life, is that everybody hates their job, and that's not true. Not everybody hates their job. It's 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 because of the choice that they make. You know, and that kind of leads me into my next topic. You know, your vision of a great job can turn a great job into a job that's just good or bad even. So your vision of a great job can actually turn into something that's just good. Now, how does that happen? You know, and that you you sit there and you say to yourself, "Well, as an airline pilot, my vision is flying the world and going to different places, or doing what I do, always bidding down the Caribbean, hanging out on the beach, discovering new cities. I like to check out lighthouses, so I like to find all these different cities that have lighthouses and go discover them. And that's it. That's really really great. But to do that, sometimes we we muddy the waters and. Some of us decide that they want to live anywhere they want to in the world, but then they have to commute over a day to get to work. And that can turn a great job into something that's just good or even bad. And and there's other ways, too, in our lives that we can take this great job and turn it into just a good job by the things that we do to ourselves. And and it's really, it, it's true. It's happened. I don't know, Eric, if you've seen this happen to people that have had a great job, who've taken this wonderful job and turned it into something that's good or even possibly bad. Yeah, I mean, and honestly, and this is just my experience, but if I had gone into, you know, my, my original career direction, you know, I'm going to go do this airline pilot thing, I would I would have done the job and I would have done well at it because uh, I'd, I'd I'm a fairly quality-driven kind of person. That's just who I am. Like, I can't, I can't do something and not do it as best I possibly can. But to be honest, that that would not have fulfilled me, and I knew that. And I made a decision. Then you know what? This is more in line with what I want to do. And I, again, being open and being being malleable to you know accept that you may not have a full. Uh, fully worked out picture of what it is that you you're doing or you're going to do. I, I my biggest uh, encouragement would be to to keep that open mind and to also be willing to talk to other people, talk to people about what it is that you want to do, um, discuss your passion with them, 
um, and, and build that off of their experience. I mean, what you do, Carl, through this podcast and all the other stuff that you do and all the time that you volunteer and all that stuff, um, it, it's so important because people need a mentor. People need somebody that they can kind of discuss their passions with. But th- for me anyway, I've seen a lot of people take jobs and in my experience, primarily in aviation, and just really not enjoy them because they weren't doing what they, they wanted to do. I mean, follow your passion, whatever whatever that is, uh, follow it, and, and have a have a mentor you can bounce ideas off of. You know, I'm a little discouraged right now. Is this normal, or, you know, can I, can I talk to you about this? I guess that's what I would say. So that, that shows how to make this, this quote-unquote good job great. That was a great example. It has to do with you. You know, you just said it. You went and, and found out something or somebody said something like, hey, listen, this is I'm going through this challenge, and, and is this normal? Well, that's you. You took that initiative. So you have to look into yourself, you know, and, and make sure no matter what it is you do, I mean, you may be listening to this and be in a totally different career, and whatever it is you're doing right now, you may think that you just have a good job, but look at how you can make it great. See what you can do within your job or because of your job to make that a great job. And it has to do with you. Turn yourself around. You know, I went through that. I, that's the epiphany I had for this podcast is I really was getting discouraged going to work. You know, I was like, gosh, where am I going? What am I doing? What is my direction? And what I had to do is I had to look at me and I had to look at what I wanted to do. So I want to encourage you to look at you and what you want to do. It might be starting a podcast. It might be out helping people. It might be going out and feeding people in other countries that, that don't have the, the food resources that we have. Whatever it is, find out what it is. It'll turn a good job into great because it gives you an incredible purpose, and, and it'll really motivate you to move forward. So I, I really encourage you to do that. And so here we, here we are telling you how to turn a good job into something great. And uh, I know you've seen on the internet how uh, this is a, a you know, uh, just a, a great job that's just good because of this, 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 and this. Well, well, listen to that and turn it around and make it great for you. That's my advice. Yeah, I don't think there's a, – a great job doesn't exist in and of itself. There are good jobs and there are bad jobs. In order to make a good job great, that's a choice you make. You, you make – I mean, you, people can have a good job. I get I get enough money to pay my bills and it's a good job. I've heard people say that all the time. You know, I have a, I have a pretty good job. And the difference between that person having a good job and having a great job is simply their attitude toward what they do. The, the, the step from good to great is absolutely a personal choice. I, I really like what you said about that. I think that's absolutely true. So, and, and as one last example, and it has nothing to do with this career, it has another, another career. It's they took a good job and made it great. There's a, a gentleman I know who's a postal carrier uh, in the town that I grew up in. And he actually took this. It was a good job, great pension, benefits, etc., and made it great because he cared about the people that he was delivering the mail to, and he cared about what was going on. And he actually would help try to get the mail to that individual and not just throw the mail in the box. He would think. He would think about, oh, wait, this is in the wrong spot. You know, I need to look into this. Hey, maybe I can help this elderly person by bringing the mail up to the steps or something like that. So he actually made, and he said hello, and he, he had a shining, beaming light in his life, and that was the people, all the people that he got to deliver the mail to. So what what is it you can do? You can change 
your attitude and it starts with you. So make your job that's good or even bad a great job by looking at yourself. Well, I think that's been a great discussion. I think I think we've given people some great tools as to you know how to make a good job great in aviation or in anything you really do. So I tell you what, Eric, since we've done that, why don't we look at some listener mail? You ready for some listener mail? I love listener mail. Let's <laughs> so do it. Let's go on to that. Uh, let's take a look at some of the listener mail. And um, and by the way, if you have any feedback, go to feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. I'd li- love to hear about uh, what we just talked about. Anyway, let's uh, let's pull up on the first mail I have, and it says here, uh, I've been turning, excuse me, I've been tuning into your show for the last two weeks and love it. I'm a 23-year-old aspiring pilot, and I've been enjoying the insights that your show provides on the various aviation careers that are out there. I have just a few questions for you guys. I'm an American who is currently living in New Zealand, and I'm unsure uh, at this time how long I like to stay in New Zealand, but I... Uh, but it could be long-term. So he's wondering what your opinion would be on going through flight training here in New Zealand and if international training and flight hours experience could be transferable to the U.S. if I decide to move back. So let's look at that one first. Uh, so, Eric, I don't know if you had much experience with people coming in here to the U.S. from other countries with with a certain level of experience. I know that there has been a lot of people have transferred in here. I'm not sure if you folks have done that at your school yet. Um, we haven't done it here. Um, I guess the the largest uh, need that we see is actually providing FAA training to people who are then going to take that and convert it in their home country. So, right. um, you know, that I think that's probably the most common thing. But at the same time, I think there are plenty of people um, who actually train outside the U.S. Actually, one of the students I had as a commercial applicant when I was in Atlanta uh, was from Great Britain. And he had a private instrument rating um, uh, through JAA, or I guess it's IASA now. Is it IASA? Yeah, I can't keep up with everything. Anyway, so I'm, I'm lucky just to keep up with the FAA. <laughs> um, that's, that's a struggle in and of itself. Um, and uh, anyway, uh, with him, that was that was that's where I actually learned how that process works. Um, and and there is a pro- you think about it, there's a process for everything, uh, depending on the country that issues the certificate. And to be honest with you, I have no idea what that looks like in New Zealand. Sometimes that's uh, a knowledge test. Sometimes it also includes a practical test. And sometimes it's just a straight one-to-one conversion. Um, I would recommend that you contact um, uh, the FAA, specifically um, either uh, AFS 800, which is the general aviation branch, or you can also go to uh, 600, which deals with airman testing. Uh, Just kind of peruse around on the FA website. Don't quote me on an email address. Um, and I, I would ask that question. Um, and there's obviously, this is not the first time that question's ever come up. Um, and usually when anybody asks about transferring a certificate to an FA certificate, um, I, I'm not going to know the answer to that, but I know where the answer can be found. Um, and that's, uh, that's one of the things the FA website does a pretty good job about, I got to say, um, in uh, sort of pointing you to the, uh, to the branch that you need to talk to about what that conversion process would look like. So I would start there and uh, try to figure out uh, what the requirements are, what, uh, what experience you'll get to keep. And I think looking at the FISDO or the FAA's website, uh, the Flight Standards District Office, uh, there's really helpful people there. Uh, that's a great way to start. But I think the other part of his question was uh, if the hours and experience can be transferable to the USA, if I decide to move back, you know, flight hours are flight hours, yes. Uh, and that's really important. 
so remember that your flight hours are flight hours. So no, no matter what it is, it's, it's normally many times going to transfer. I shouldn't say everything will transfer, but uh, the experience is good no matter what. Experience. Yes, certification is. is one thing. Hours and experience is another. Exactly. Exactly. Which kind of leads to his next question. I'll continue on his re- email. He says, uh, from what I understand, it seems that the requirements to obtain an ATP license are a bit easier to reach in New Zealand, and I could hypothetically be flying for an airline sooner here than I could in the United States of America. Would my experience flying overseas be helpful in securing a pilot job in the USA if I decided to move back? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, any type of flying is is great experience if you decide to come back here and start flying in the U.S. All flying is important. As a matter of fact, it may even help you because you can talk about the type of flying you're doing overseas, etc. Your experience with pans ops or whatever it is that, that you might do, it's it's very important to, to uh, convey that information as far as what you do differently. Um, also, he continues, also, I did four years of Bible college in the in the States and got a diploma for that but it's not a bachelor's degree. Is there any chance at all of me moving into the major airlines without a bachelor's degree? Would four years of post-high school education account for anything? Four-year degree is important. Uh, Having a bachelor's degree is important. Uh, And if you did not get that bachelor's, it is a good idea to move forward, if you can, to somehow secure that. Uh, but but a degree is is quite important. But having that education is also important. So it depends. Is the, really the answer I'm trying to get to? It depends on the hiring cycle. Uh, I've seen hiring cycles where people don't have any degree, especially with the regionals, and they hire people that are actually pursuing a degree. Uh, and then I've seen the majors actually hire people that don't have a four year degree. But with that said, you got to look at the stats. You're looking at in the high 90s in percentages, depending on the airline you go to. But over 95% have a have a four-year degree. So make sure you you try to look that at that as a goal. So if you're first looking at moving to the regionals, getting a job first, you might want to try to to finish up with a bachelor's degree. I hope Eric that that was something that you'd agree with there. I do absolutely, and I think there are. There are so many options nowadays um, in order to do bachelor's degrees uh, online, distance ed, whatever. It, it's it's not the barrier to obtaining that it was at one time uh, where you had to move to a certain place to be able to go to a program like that. Um, you know, I'd have to say just from the people I talk to, um, even if the degree is not required, and there's a lot of airlines who will say preferred but not required, um, when you've got you know a couple thousand applications come in, it pretty much becomes required because that's going to be one of the first ways that they're going to take the application pool and, and kind of cut it down and just say, okay, well, let's take the most qualified people first. And so that that the degree thing, even though it's not technically required, might cause you to fall into that first cut just just out of the number of spots that need to be filled and um, and the number of people who apply. So. Yeah, it's there are plenty of airlines that will say no degree required. There's some airlines that will say preferred, and there's some that do say that it's actually required. And I think ultimately, at the end of the day, if your goal is career advancement through a major carrier, it's something you're going to need to do one way or another, um, whether that's online or after you come back to the states and kind of working on it as you uh, build more time and experience to get more qualified here. I think that's just one of those things that you're gonna you're gonna want to do at some point. Yeah, there's a big difference between the required to apply and the required to get hired. 
Uh, so there's different minimums. You know, there's a minimum to actually put the application on the internet or in their door, and then there's the minimums as far as their internal minimums as as far as the hours. It may be, say, it's a thousand hours of of PIC or a thousand hours of multi time. You have to find out what their minimums are as far as actually considering you as an employee. Most of the time, yeah, having a degree is important. But uh, anyway, he continues. Let's see. He says, oh, thanks for your time and appreciate any feedback. The show is great. Well, I'm glad you enjoy it. And thanks for that question. And uh, let's move on to the next question. Uh, here we go. He says, uh, hey, just wanted to ask for your wisdom and opinion on choosing the best route after completing my commercial flight training. This is a good scenario, so let's let's read through it. He goes on, Love your podcast. I discovered you on iTunes about a month ago, and I've listened to almost every one of your episodes since. Great, great aviation career advice and counsel. I'm currently in my commercial pilot training, and I'm looking at either doing banner towing or getting my CFI after completion. The reason I like the banner towing side is the amount of hours you can get in a short amount of time. Most of the operators I've spoken with fly six to seven days a week, and you're working eight hours a day, and could be flying around six hours a day. It's a, it, it is seasonal in most cases, but it seems to me to be a great way to rack up some hours quickly, not to mention the stick and rudder flying, which just seems fun. CFI would cost more money, not a whole lot compared to the commercial, obviously. It seems to me like a great way to learn the knowledge side of things, because you have to teach it but you don't really get to fly hands-on. That's a bummer. Also, pay really depends on what school and how many students you have. Very good. Very glad that you saw that. Uh, he continues, These are, of course, just my opinions, and it does not mean that I'm completely right on all the facts. I'm not looking for a direct answer, but would love to hear a professional's view on this. Carl, thank you so much for your time, and look forward to hearing back from you. I tell you what, why can't you do both? Uh, become a CFI. I was just about to say that. The answer is both. <laughs> both. Yeah. It, it's, it's not and, – and I it, I recommend everybody become a CFI if they can. It helps you because, number one, to teach it, you really have to learn it. Number two, you'll really get to know your instrument procedures, and that's what you need to do to get hired with an airline if that's the ultimate goal there. To get hours, though, boy, that banner towing is awesome. And you can build so many hours doing banner towing. It's it's ridiculous. I mean, it's. Uh, but but with that said, I, I think there was a great point he made here, and I'm glad he 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 listened. And there's there's a lot of schools out there that you can actually put in more hours flight instructing than you would banner towing, it, and get paid less possibly. Yeah, yeah, and and you would you would actually I've gotten paid more doing my instruction than I had. Uh, some of my buddies there doing the, the banner tow, even though they're up there all the time. Because remember, you're also doing ground instruction, and mm -hmm. you're doing flight instruction. Totally depends, and that's a great statement. It totally depends on the school and how the curriculum is set up and how seniority works at that school, if it even if there is seniority and, and all that. There's just so many variables to consider. That's a really good observation. So choosing the best route for completing your commercial pilot training, you know, or after completing it, uh, best route is to do both. Uh, if it's the season for banner towing, jump into that. If it's uh, if it's a down season, work on getting your CFI. Get as many ratings as you can because you want to be able to, while you're sitting in the seat of an airplane, to log all the time that you're in the airplane. Get your multi-instructor, get your instrument instructor, get your CFI. Get as many as you can because then you're available for work to many, many more people. And using the banner towing income to help augment the cost of the CFI, I think, is a is a good deal. And you know, if you're working for a banner towing outfit, chances are 
somebody in that company is a flight instructor or probably knows some flight instructors, they're able to hook you up with a you know a deal or a you know the friends and family discount, as it were. Um, so it, again, it, it, you don't think about it this way, but sometimes training can even be an, a, a networking opportunity too. Uh, we usually look at you know getting an aviation job as being you know that's when I want to know people. You know, sometimes who you know can make your training process a lot easier and a lot cheaper, too. Um, it just, I mean, I have students who will take internship opportunities, and through internships, they'll meet people like, oh, you have this airplane? Oh, can I fly it with you? Okay. I mean, you know, just crazy things that come along like that. And sometimes training in and of itself, you can help yourself out in training based on who you know. Yeah, it's really, networking is very important. Tom Wachowski always says that networking, networking, networking. Yeah, it's very true. Uh, you know, and what's interesting is that you know we have a lot of opportunities while we're training people, depending again where you are, to to network and to be able to possibly get a job, uh, especially at one of the airports I flew out of. You know, a lot of the folks there uh, they were hobbyists and were buying airplanes and wound up actually hiring the individual to fly their corporate aircraft. So it can it can happen that way. Great question, uh, and I love what you t- you talked about there. So so keep listening. I really appreciate it. By the way, uh, if you get a chance, go to our past episodes page because I think I don't think we all have all of them on iTunes, and I'll try to put them all out there. Uh, but there are some other episodes that are at aviationcareerspodcast.com in past episodes. And uh, kudos to doing your homework and being informed. Yes, that's very, a. Very good. I mean, it's it's obvious that you've looked into this and you've. Um, and you've clearly sort of done some analysis on your own, and that is really awesome and to be commended. It is. It is. That's great. Okay, moving on to the last question is uh, it comes in, and, and unfortunately, Paul Grico is not here today, uh, but this is... He's here in spirit. He is Paul is always sp- with us in spirit. Yes, he's taking care of uh, two young babies right now, and uh, two. I think one of them might be a little sick, so it's it's, uh, a, it's a challenge. Solidarity, Paul. Solidarity. Yeah, man. Oh, yeah. yeah, I wouldn't know what that's Been like. Been there, done that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, uh, if you need help, call Paul. <laughs> yeah, no, I wouldn't know what to do. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, the last question is, uh, just listen to ACP 103, uh, Aviation Curse Podcast, episode 103 with Paul Greco, and had a question regarding basing. Paul said that he picked the airlines he applied to by proximity of the airline base to his home. When you apply to an airline, do you apply for a specific base, or does that come later? When does that happen? Did Paul just sort of roll the dice that an opening would be available at his desired base. Just curious how the process works. Great question, uh, and and there was a and I know the process Paul went through when he decided to go to the airline he went to. But let's let's go back to the original question. When you apply to an airline, uh, you don't apply to a specific base. You apply to the airline. When the airline will ask you, do you mind going to Guam or do you mind going to Saipan or to New York or wherever? Say yes because you're going. You can go anywhere when you work for an airline. They will. They will move you. And I'm sure you know, Eric. You know that, right? You've seen yeah. people get moved to many different locations out of the school that you've that you know that you work with, and you've pe- seen people hired all over the country. Yeah, I mean that's and that that's true even in uh, even in the corporate world or even the academy world. I mean, if you go to work for a large flight training academy with multiple facilities regularly they're asking the instructors, hey, who wants to move to Arizona? Hey, who wants to go to California? Um, because, and there, I mean, you don't think about it, but, you know, that's, aviation is a global business. That's the whole point. Um, and so one of those things that you kind of have to accept when you get into this business is the fact that, 
you know, you can really go anywhere and you may be asked to. Um, and so you, you need to kind of keep your options flexible in that way. But certainly like uh, what Paul did, you know, you can, it's, you know, it's not uh, like uh, a closed book test. You, you know where your airlines are based I mean, and you know, and you can find out online really simply where the junior bases are. Um, so if you, you know, you can have your one, two and three pick for airlines because you know you're probably going to get assigned to one of a handful of bases, um, and I think that uh, it's certainly that's again that's informed application. That's not just well, I want to go to the I want to go work for an airline. I have no idea what that means. In order, to, obviously, that that involves research, and that's what Paul did, and and I would recommend anybody do that. And that's an important decision to make: is where where you want to work. Uh, if they have a base in your hometown, the airline. You know, I, I would definitely apply for that airline because uh, having a base in your hometown is awesome. Uh, you, if you look at me, you know, I'll spend at least six to eight hours getting to work and uh, and sometimes more than that, sometimes a whole day. So that can make a, a big, big difference. Uh, as far as uh, when can you apply and when you can pick your base, this is what normally happens at just about every airline. When you show up at training your first day, uh, they'll ask you to bid your equipment and your base, Okay. So equipment being the type of airplane you're going to fly and base being the airport that you want to go to. Now, when you're doing this, you might want to look into a couple things because say that the base that you want to go to has 737s only and you want to fly the 777, then you won't go to the base you want to go to. You might get the airplane you want to fly. So you you have to do some bidding. Uh, that's smart bidding. In other words, look at the base. If that's the most important thing is your base, bid that first and don't worry about the equipment. If the equipment's important, then you bid the equipment and don't worry about what base you get to because eventually you'll get back to that base that you want. There are certain bases that are super senior. I know there's, uh, you know, for the the airline I work for, there's a base that's not far from my home, but it's very difficult to get to because it's so senior. Uh, So that does come later, and that's part of your question, does, does the ability to move bases come later? Yes, it does. And, and so does the ability to move up to captain. That comes later. You bid these positions. so Or to change equipment for that matter, too. Exactly, exactly. Most airlines, though, if you start in a specific equipment, they make you stay there for a couple years in that specific type of equipment before you can actually bid out of that equipment. So if you're flying... Because it costs a lot to train you exactly. to fly that equipment. And they exactly. need to get their investment back. Exactly. Uh, you know, funny... And just to give you an example, when I went to work for an airline, uh, they actually... It was one of those Jets for Jobs deal. I won't go into too much. But they actually paid me to sit at home because my pay for the year was lower than the training costs. So they paid me to sit because they were going to put me back on a different airplane six months later. So they said, hey, we're just going to let you sit at home and give you a paycheck for six months. Is that okay? I said, well, okay, I can do that as long as I can go fly somewhere else. So you, you have to understand that it is very expensive for them to train you. Uh, so when do these things happen uh, is the next question. Well, it, it depends on the airline. Normally, most airlines will bid every six months for your equipment and your position and your base. So you'll... You'll get this bid that comes out and say, I want this, 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 and this. And then, you know, if you want to work in Newark, 
and you want to fly the 737, then you put in a bid for Newark 737 First Officer. Say you really want to fly the 777, but that's the only plane you want to fly and nothing else. And you bid, you know, Newark 777, but you also bid 777 in every other base because that's the plane you want to fly. Or if you want to be a captain, you bid captain in everywhere. So it's all depends on on your priorities. So make sure you figure out your priorities first. And then you go ahead and you bid that way. So did did Paul roll the dice? No, he actually uh, did some research. Uh, we knew that the company that he wanted to work for, or one of the companies he wanted to work for, had a base that was only about 20 minutes, I think, from his house. I think it was 20 minutes, 30 minutes, which is really close, as opposed to another company that was much further away, and it would have been a long commute. So he chose to have a uh, the airline that was close to home uh, also had, you know, there's other parts to that decision. He also knew that upgrade times were quick, and he's actually going to be upgrading here shortly. Uh, so that that actually is how that works. So hopefully that's that's helped a little bit. Remember, you bid for your equipment, you bid for your base, and based on your seniority, you get that equipment and base. And I guess there's one more thing I should mention. When you first get hired with an airline, most airlines, what they do is they let you bid by age in your class because the person that's the oldest is going to have the shortest career. So if you're 50 years old and you got hired, you get to bid first. And then the next person, you know, if you're forward, next person's 40, they bid second. So the, the person that's 50 will get their first choice. Of course, you'll you'll be there longer than that other person. So uh, that's only fair that they do that. Most of them will do it that way. It's based on your on your uh, age when you actually enter the airline. Which does make the whole prospect of, you know, changing airlines late in your career a little more uplifting. It's not like you're going to be the last one to bid and you're at least you you know if you're more senior in terms of age than at most places anyway that I'm familiar with that that's the process that the that you bid by birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. which you know can can make a a late in life change which is you know you're going to lose some seniority and and that's Again, that, that's you can look at it as being this really horrible negative thing, but on the upside, you do get preferential bidding out of your class. So, you know, there is a little rainbow of sunshine there. Yeah, it's just a little a little one there. So, and you have to look at everything. You know, what is this going to be best for you? Bases, etc. So, that's really really important. Well, you know, Eric, that's our thanks for that question. That was our last question. Again, if you have one, go to feedback at aviationcareerspodcast dot com. This is so much fun, isn't it, Eric? I love answering these. questions. I love, and I it's funny because. I remember the first episode that we did together where we just kind of talked about the crazy <laughs> the crazy journey that I had had through aviation. And I remember you asking, it's probably a week or two later, you're like, you know, I get a lot of questions. Would you like to answer questions sometime? I'm like, I would love <laughs> And that's become my favorite thing to do. Every time we talk about an ACP episode, I'm like, oh, questions and answers. I just <laughs> it's just fun to me. I really enjoy it. So maybe that maybe that's sick or something, but I I really do enjoy answering your questions. So thank you thank you for writing in and allowing me to to help answer your questions. And uh, that goes back to being him being a teacher and wanting to help people. I think that's awesome, uh, uh, Eric. And you really are helpful in, in, in answering these questions. Uh, you actually had a story. Uh, I don't know if we could put that in real quick of somebody because of something they heard on a podcast that you were involved with was able to go through and finish get their medical and was inspired to get their medical. Did we want to mention that one or no? I, I would like to. I think that's a really good idea. Um, and actually, since I've been on this podcast the first time, which, what was that, like two years ago now? It's been a Maybe long time ago. Um, one, okay. of the, one of the things that came up in that was the fact that I'm colorblind. 
and the you know the huge struggle I had to go through to get a night flying restriction off of my medical certificate, um, and just that journey, and again how that could have been just been you know a deal breaker, and it was a big deal, but um, but you know I had really great support around me from uh, family and from my wife and from everything. It just it made what could have been a horrible situation a better situation. And every, it seems like everywhere I go, I, I tell that story. People are like, oh, you know, I know somebody who was colorblind. Or, hey, I'm colorblind, and I didn't know that you could still be a pilot or whatever um, because they'd heard you couldn't. And um, after, not too long after that first episode we did, I, I had uh, – and I've gotten a lot of feedback from listeners uh, since then about, you know, oh, you know, Eric, what did you do with your colorblindness thing and how did it all work out? And I'm happy to share that because I, I went into that situation having no clue. I didn't even know that was – it was a thing. I didn't know how to, what to do or who to ask. So again, I just, I like being able to share that information with other people. And one person had written in and asked, and you know, I had said, you know, this was my journey and I really encourage you don't give up. It's, if it's what you want to do, uh, there is a way to get through it. And, um, wrote in the other day and said that he just completed his, uh, uh, solo in an R22 helicopter, which just, you know, made my day, <laughs> just made my day. Um, and, uh, and thank you for sharing that. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's outstanding. I, I really, really, really appreciate it. Awesome. Great story. And, and you know, that, that's the reason we're doing this is to make you aware of certain things. Like I didn't think I could fly cause I wore glasses. It's that simple. And I was able to do it. And if it wasn't for somebody telling somebody telling me I could do it, I probably wouldn't have. And I think that's great that you did that, Eric. That's, that's awesome. Good, good job there. Yay. Uh, <laughs> Well, Eric, makes a good job great. Yes, it sure. does. Exactly. Oh, gosh, took the words out of my mouth. Makes a good job great. <laughs> Speaking of a good job great, we uh, one of the things we started doing, Eric, is uh, we have this on another podcast we do as a pick of the week. We were just right. doing, a, doing a scholarship of the week, and uh, I wanted to, to mix it up because there's a lot of other things, too, that, that people want to know about. And, uh, you know, I kind of threw this on Eric at the last minute, so I'm not sure if you have one, but I will. I do, actually. Oh, something do? popped in my head because oh. um, it's uh, it's actually an event, and I'll, I'll you can go to, you can do yours first. It's fine. Okay, I'll, I'll go first. I'll let you do yours, and we'll, we'll finish up here. So, uh, mine actually has to do with, with this the show today it's uh, actually by a gentleman that I really like. His name is Dan Miller, and he has a book called Forty Eight Days to the Work You Love." Uh, basically, he talks about all those people out there that that hate their jobs, and uh, they have a life suck job, and are able to turn that around and do the job that they truly love and the thing that makes them feel important internally. You know, those things that are important to that individual. What are they? And he goes through the whole process of, of what, what is your vocation? What is it that, that will actually make you do something that you truly love and it'll, it'll really inspire you? He also has a podcast out there. But check out the book. I'll have a link to it at Aviation Careers Podcast, Episode 104, 48 Days to the Work You Love. It'll change your life, I think, if you're somebody that's actually thinking of changing jobs right now and you're possibly looking at a career in aerospace and aviation. Uh, there's many different jobs out there. Obviously, we're going to start doing some more with, with engineers, etc., and uh, having them on, but it's really important that you know that there's some really, really cool jobs out there and things that will actually fulfill you. So that's mine. Uh, Eric, what's your pick of the week? Again, it's an event, and I know like when you're doing podcasts, you may be listening to this, you know, years from now. <laughs> so forgive me for picking a, a time specific event, but it's an, an interesting, uh, it's a one day show 
Um, it's in Orlando, Florida. So if you're listening to this and you're in California, you're like, well, I don't know if I can make it to Orlando. I understand. But but if you have the ability to come, I, I would encourage you to look into the Student Education and Careers in Aviation Conference. Again, one day. Um, it's April 21st, 2016. It's a whole day. Um, exhibitors, airlines, speakers, and it's exactly what it sounds like. Student education and careers in aviation. It's it's um, it's like this podcast for a whole day. <laughs> so awesome! Um, I, I would highly recommend it to you. Um, and I had, I can't believe I forgot about this. I'm glad somebody sent me an email about it earlier today. Um, I'm definitely I'm definitely going. It's it's on my calendar. Um, and for me, being in Central Florida, Orlando is not that far away. Um, but I know people come to this thing from all over the country. So if you have the ability to go again, April 21st, 2016, and if you're listening to this and it's 2025, I'm really sorry, <laughs> but, well, but, you know, but it, it comes around every year. So it's, it's so just figure it, figure it out and find it. And, um, I'll, um, I'll get a link to Carl so we can put it in the notes for you guys. But I would, I would highly recommend you look into it. I think it's something you might get something out of. Awesome. And that's an event they have every year. And uh, it sounds really good. I, I haven't been yet. And I want to go. Maybe we could go. Maybe we should uh, do a do a little episode there or something. Yeah. Gosh, you know what? You read my mind, Eric. I think that's a great idea. So, is it scary that we think alike, yes, or is it, it is. good? Yes. I don't know. Yes, it is because I it, it does scare me that you think someone like me. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely need therapy. The universe but, <laughs> is not ready for two minds. Like no, ours, no, Paul. that's for yeah, sure. We need Tom or Paul here. Yeah, yes, we do. So. <laughs> level level it out a little bit and bring us down to reality here. But uh, you know, I I tell you, Eric, this has been awesome. You know, I didn't realize how many years I've been doing this. It's been like three years, and uh, it's been really cool being able to bring people uh, an inside view of aviation careers and, and really inspire people like you've done and, and all the other people that have been on this show. Uh, we've had some really great feedback, and, uh, you know, as far as the aviation careers that are out there and the aerospace careers in general, you know, rocket scientists and, and propulsion scientists, et cetera, we're going to start having more of those on here. Obviously, a lot of the questions come from from airline pilots. That's uh, because that that journey is so difficult, and uh, it is excuse me a challenge. I shouldn't just call it difficult, but it's definitely a challenge. It's a multi step process, and, and it really for it's sure. varied. Yes, and it's not not as straightforward as some other careers. So we don't sometimes focus on them. But I've heard you. I've had the emails come in. You want to learn more about becoming a dispatcher? By the way, if you want to learn about being a dispatcher, any career, and we may have talked about it. Go to the past episodes or just there's a little search column and search on it. Just uh, just click on there and say, hey, you know, we're dispatching. You'll see we've done a couple episodes with people have actually worked as dispatchers or air traffic controllers or engineers, structural test engineers, that type of thing. So just do a search. Uh, we've had them in the past, but we're going to have them on again in the future. I think this has been great reinforcement for, for most of you to hear about these careers, but also to hear from Eric and everybody else that's on here, you know, you're not you're not alone. Yeah, we've all been through this, and we've all had a job that we thought was an okay job, a good job, and we've been able to make it a great job. And that's why we have those people on this show, and people like Eric, people like Paul, Tom Wachowski, everybody that comes on here has been able to take a great situation and make it even better, which is awesome. So, Eric, hey, thanks for joining us today. I really appreciate it. 
Always happy to join in. Look forward to um, being invited back maybe again. You think maybe I could come oh, back Oh, gosh, again? yes, yes. <laughs> Most definitely. We, we want you back here. I hope you come back. That's that's oh, for no. sure. I, I love this. I would I would do this even if you didn't pay me. Yeah. Wait. Wait a minute. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> I, I pay keep, the, keep the passion alive, guys. Keep the passion alive. It's, this is... Uh, this is the absolute best thing you could ever do with your life. Awesome. And it, it's not it's not a specific job. It's doing what you want to do. Amen. Great, great point there, Eric. And, you know, if you're listening today, you know, think about what you're doing, what your job is today, and try to make that job a just okay, a bad job, a good job, or even better. Make it a great job. Discover your passion. Discover why it is you're doing this. Take that vision of what a great job is and apply it to your life right now, no matter what it is you do. Make sure you do that, and do that today. Try to think about that. Do something today that'll move you forward towards making your job right now not just a good job, maybe a bad job, but make it a great job. Make it even better. And when you do that, please write to us at feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. Tell us what you've done to make your job an even better job. And we'll talk to you next episode. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although host or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.